here in the building or online. I hope that you will feel united with us in our worship here this morning. It's been quite a week, hasn't it, in many ways. We've had our concerns about the Ukraine, and we can hardly understand and what they must feel as they leave that their own country, they leave possibly their husbands behind, their families are split, their homes are destroyed. It's very difficult to really get understanding of that. The other situation that is very anxious and has been on our minds very much this week is Jackie and Amber May up in the hospital, so desperately ill. And this morning we've heard that during the night uh, her lungs have developed fluids, so that's making it difficult for her to breathe. And it's a very difficult Tremendously trying situation for Jackie. Very exhausting to see her little one so ill and waiting what would seem to be her passing into glory. There are other situations in our church which are very pressing, very urgent for people. It seemed to go on and on. So, amidst all this anxiety this week, I was very glad that when we met in house groups, we looked at Psalm 31. David was in great trouble on that occasion, but he had his trust in God. He knew God as his refuge. He knew God as his fortress and strength. And in verse 15, he said that my times are in your hand. And that is our opening hymn this morning, my times are in your hands. And it's a great blessing, isn't it, to know that God Amidst all these difficulties that are going on, God is sovereign. He knows what is going on, and our times are in his hands. So let's stand to sing, and after that, Peter will be reading the passage of Scripture we'll be considering today.
Well, our reading this morning continues in the uh, book of Luke. We're in uh, chapter 23, starting at verse 50. And we've come to the section about the resurrection of Jesus, which is the most momentous event in human history. And it's the absolute proof that we can put our trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. So we're going to start at verse 50 in chapter 23. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one else had ever been yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as, I, as an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marvelling at what had happened." Well, we look forward to hearing John explain that in more detail a bit later on. <clears throat> Peter, there are some things that you don't have to know about. For example, I don't need to know how my computer works. I just pick up the phone and speak to the chap who made it for me and he fixes it. I don't need to know about that. But there are some things which are essential for everyone in this room this morning and those watching online. And they're words that were uttered by Job centuries ago in the first line of our hymn. I know I know that my Redeemer liveth. He knew God as his Redeemer. He knew that he still lives. 
essential for us to know that ourselves. May we sing this hymn thoughtfully and prayerfully. And after that, uh, children, if you'd like to come to the front, John is going to give you a talk. of room, isn't there? We all up now? Excellent. I just want to talk to you just for a couple of minutes before you go back to your seats, and I want to talk to you about a word today, and I've been thinking about this word a lot, especially over the last couple of weeks, because two weeks ago I had to um, go out and I went to a restaurant in Crowborough, and there's lots of people there, and after I had the meal I had to give my testimony and I, I don't know if any of you know what a testimony is, but it, it's, a, it's a story. It's a story about how I became a Christian. And many people came there, and I spoke to them, and I told them what my life was like before I was a Christian, and then I told them about what my life was like since I was a Christian. And when I came away from there, I kept thinking about this word, and it kept coming back to me. And if it wasn't for this word that I'm going to talk to you about today, I wouldn't be standing here now, and I wouldn't have been able to tell these people my testimony, my story. And the word that I'm going to talk to you about today and how it works is grace. Has anybody heard the word grace before? Well, that's good. Excellent. Now, my wife, she said, John, do you know how 
grace works, I can give you um, a little um, phrase how you can use grace and split it up and it reminds you how grace works. And it is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And I'm going to try and show you how it works. So I've got a board here and Florence is going to come and help me now. And it's got a man on it. And it's a very good drawing, as you can see. Isn't that a good drawing? Yeah. And this is me. Okay. So this is me before I received grace. And we all know, and we teach you, don't we, that we're all full of sin. We all fall short of God's standards, don't we? We've all done things wrong, and we've all fallen short. And I was a sinner before I was a Christian. I was a real big sinner, and I did lots of things wrong. So I'm going to start you off on, on my, this man here that's me. And when I was younger, I used to lie. And I used to be horrible to my brothers. What other sins can you think of, possibly, that, that we do? And have you got anything that you think, Ruby? Pardon? Hurting, yeah, that's a sin, isn't it? Any other sins? Flynn? Saying bad words. Saying bad words. Al? Pushing people, that's a bad thing to do, isn't it? Yes, Paige? Being rude? Yes, Katie? Doing something, sorry? Pranking people when they don't like it, Ruby? Disobedience? Yes, Freddie? Doing bad things on purpose. These are all sins, aren't they? Yes, Lydia? Stealing? Yep. Have you got one? Stealing shoes, did you say? Yeah, lots of things. You see this list so far that you've listed? I did all of those things. Every single one of them. And bullying, you can put bullying on there. I could be a bully as well when I was younger. I did lots of horrible things. Not always tell the truth. Just did really horrible things. Now, go back to that verse I was just saying to you about, when we were talking about grace, and think about the first two letters, what I was talking about. I was talking about God's riches. And when it talks about God's riches, it talks about God's kingdom and what God is going to give us. Now, when I'm inside like that full of sin, do you think I deserve God's riches? Do you think I deserve God's riches? No, not at all, do I? I don't deserve God's riches. How can I go and have God give me all the good things that he's going to give me when I'm like that inside and my heart's like that. There's no way I could be forgiven for all those things, could I? But then I want to come to the um, second part of grace. So, France, could you just draw me a, a cross-up on there, please? <coughs> now, can anybody remember what the A, C and E stand for, what I said? Can any of you remember? Will I help you out? At Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, when I felt like this, when I was like this inside, I knew that I couldn't be made right. But then I started to come to church. I started to understand who God was. And I started to understand that all those things that I'd done wrong, they could be forgiven of me. They could be forgiven because of what one person had done, the Lord Jesus Christ. I learned that Jesus came down to this world to save people from their sins. And I knew I was a sinner. And I knew I didn't deserve God's riches unless Jesus paid the sacrifice for me. And I learned that Jesus did pay that sacrifice at Christ's expense. So I've got a, I've got a marker there. Do you want to rub all of that stuff off now, Florence? 
So after I trust and put my trust in Jesus, I put my trust in the cross, Jesus took all those things that I'd done, all those sins, and he put them on the cross, and he put them on his shoulders, and he paid the penalty and the price for me, so that now, I'm not full of sin now, am I? I'm completely clean. And that's what Jesus does. When Jesus comes down and dies on the cross, he takes all that punishment, and that's what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, I've got a verse, I think they're going to, if they can just chuck it up on the wall, and this is in your children's Bible, because I think it, 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 it sums it up a lot easier for you. It says, all people have sinned and are not good enough for God's glory. So that's everybody, not just one or two. It tells us that everybody has sinned and is not good enough for God's glory. People are made right with God by his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, which is a free gift They are made right with God by being made free from sin through Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's an amazing gift, isn't it? Don't you? That all those things that we've done wrong, because not one of you can sit in front of me today and say, I haven't bullied my sister or my brother. I haven't been horrible. I haven't been rude. We've all done it, haven't we? And God can see right into our hearts. But if we put our trust in Jesus and we follow Jesus and we want him in our lives, we can be forgiven of our sins. And he shows us that through the grace that he has shown us. And it's a free gift. So when you hear grace in the future, I really want you to try and remember that. God's riches at Christ's expense. And it is the greatest gift you can receive, isn't it? Thank you ever so much for listening. You can go back to your seats now. just want to um, speak to the men out there. We've got a men's um, golf day coming up on April the 2nd, so a few weeks' time. Um, I encourage you all to come along. So what we do, we have a breakfast down here at Forest Fold, and then we're going to go and play nine holes of golf over at um, Blackham at Villa Golf. It's been a really good time that we've had in the past. Um, We've got a guy that's going to come down to speak to us, um, Rob Pickering. Um, Some of us guys um, heard him last year. Really good speaker, and he's going to give his testimony, so it'll be really interesting to come and hear what Rob has to say and how God worked in his life. Um, The plan is that we're going to come down here for 8 o'clock, and we're going to have a breakfast. Rob's going to give his testimony, then we're going to head over to the golf for about half past 9, 10 o'clock, and we're going to have a round of golf and just have a real good time together. So the flyers are here. They're out the back at the moment, so please pick one up and take one with you. And um, I encourage you to invite a friend to come along because it is a really good event to come to. And it's quite easy, isn't it? Everyone likes a fried breakfast and uh, breakfast down here and then we can go to the golf, have a nice game of golf, um, have a bit of fellowship together and there's teas and coffees after the golf. So I really do encourage you, first and foremost, to come along and secondly, to, to bring someone along because how amazing would that be to bring someone along that doesn't know God and that they can hear a testimony from, from Rob about how God changed his life. So an encouragement there for you guys. Thank you, John. Shall we now turn to the Lord in prayer? Let's pray together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What wonderful words those are. Grace, where should we be but for the grace of God? And we pray, O Lord, that indeed all of us may know that grace. That we may know that we are sinners in your sight. 
and that we need that grace to save us. O Lord, do work, we pray, in the hearts of all who are gathered here this morning. You know how we have come, what state of mind, and we pray, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit may speak to us through the reading of your word, through the hymns that we have sung, and through John speaking to us this morning, ministering to us. O Lord, may our ears be opened. May we be attentive. May all the distracting thoughts come into our minds, be removed, that we concentrate. And O Lord, we pray that it may not just be that we hear the word, but that we put it into practice during the week as we go about our daily work, whatever that may be, in the home or wherever it may be. May we, O Lord, seek to honour and worship you in our daily lives. May we be as lights in this dark world. Help us each to stand for the things that we hear. Stand for the truth in this dark and alien world. O Lord, we pray for our country. We have sadly departed from you. The Bible no longer is our guide. The Bible is neglected. And very few have any knowledge of really what the Bible says. O Lord, we pray that you will turn our nation back to you. You will lead, speak to our leaders so they turn from their ways and seek to know after God. And particularly at this time when there is this war going on in Ukraine, we pray, O Lord, for wisdom for the leaders of the nation, that you will give them great understanding of what to do and how to do it and how to speak. O Lord, we pray that you will put it in the heart of Putin to withdraw from this terrible war that he is creating. O Lord, it is not too hard for you to change his heart, to turn him from his ways. Give us faith to believe that. Give us trust in the sovereignty of our God that you are working your purposes out. And we pray, O Lord, that you will be with those poor people who are fleeing. They don't know where. They're fleeing their country, their homes. They're leaving behind their husbands. Not knowing whether they will be reunited. O oh Lord, do comfort them, we pray. Give them the peace of God. 
in their hearts. Oh Lord, we do pray for Jackie up in the hospital. We are thankful, Lord, for all the medical care and attention that she is receiving. We're thankful for the help that is being offered to her by her friends here. And do ask, O Lord, that you will draw near to her as she watches over her daughter so critically ill. O Lord, we pray. Hear prayer for her. Do support her. Do physically strengthen her because she is very, very tired. And and we pray, O Lord, for your gracious hand to be upon that situation. We ask, O Lord, that as my sister Margaret goes into home this week, that you will go before her, guide and direct her, give her that assurance that you are with her in this big move. And we pray, O Lord, that she will be able to settle in and make friends in that home, and that your gracious hand may be upon that situation. We ask, O Lord, for our young people who are away at this time, that as Mark speaks to them this morning, and Tim does as well, and as they go to a service tonight, that as the seed is sown, it may take root and be established in their hearts, that your Holy Spirit may give them that desire to seek after God, implant in their hearts your word. May souls be blessed this day. Amongst our young people, we give thanks for them. We give thanks that so many, 31, are together And we pray, O Lord, that a mighty work of conversion may be done, that your grace may be given to them. We pray, O Lord, for Keith as he ministers at Wivelsfield today. Do ask, O Lord, that you will encourage him in his work amongst the few there. And we're thankful, O Lord, that this week they will have a baptizing service and that there will be that witness of the grace of God in James's heart. And we pray, O Lord, that you will bless your people there. O Lord, we pray for your blessing to be upon those who we know and love who are labouring for the Lord this day. We pray for John as he ministers to us here. Thankful, O Lord, for that help that has been given. And we can truly say, hitherto has the Lord helped. 
And we pray, O Lord, that you will continue to bless the word, that souls may be fed, that souls may be built up, that souls may be fruitful in their lives, and that there might be that earnest seeking after you. We pray, O Lord, for your blessing to be upon every endeavour to reach out to people in this district. We have several events being announced and we pray, O Lord, that as the messages, you will help the people giving the messages and as the messages go out, that there may be that the word goes in to the hearts, causing them to realise that they need to seek after God, that there is a God. They may not have heard of a God before. They may have very little knowledge about God, very little knowledge of the Bible. But, O oh Lord, you can bring them into a condition, a state of mind when they are brought to seek after the Lord, and we pray that that mighty work may be done, not just in Crober, but throughout this land. Thus we do desire that we, as we listen to your servant here this morning, that you will bless us. A sense of your presence is what we need. A sense of your gracious hand to be upon each one of us. May, O Lord, we know that unity in our worshipping here this morning. Thus hear us, O Lord, in mercy. Look upon us. Cleanse us, we pray. Pardon our many sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, before John speaks to us, let us sing again, Jesus, Prince and Saviour.
Well, the headline comes in the middle of our passage uh, this morning, and it is the big news. It is the gigantic news. It is in our title. He is not here, but he is risen. He is not here, but has risen. And we are moving on to the resurrection. A true Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. It admits that later in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. No resurrection. We shut up Forest Fold. We close our Bibles. We decide to seek pleasure and party, eat and drink and drown out any thoughts of important things and dwindle away our brief and passing lives. But if Jesus did rise again, everything is transformed. Our view of Jesus, our relationship with God, our peace, our life on earth, our future... So it's so key what we're thinking of this morning, the resurrection of Jesus. And it's why we're wanting Easter Sunday in a few weeks' time to be a particularly special one where people are encouraged to invite others to as we have two services on Easter Sunday, again thinking of the resurrection in a way which is accessible to everybody. But can I ask, are you clear on whether Jesus rose again or not. Have you looked into it? Have you given it any thought? Have you realised its significance? Well, the news at the centre of our passage is pivotal to all that we'll be looking at as we get into the last chapter, little bit of the, the last, cha- last bit of Luke 23, and then the last chapter of Luke chapter 24. We're thinking of the resurrection, and today we're in the earliest stages of it. And it's the, the central news, obviously, which will carry through into what we look at in the coming weeks. Uh, But as Luke tells it, although it is clearly the central news, Luke tells it to us by looking at others involved. And he goes through others that are involved in the scene in order to help us understand what's happening. And so this morning we're going to follow through that in our passage this morning. And we'll see some of the characters involved and we'll also see that the initial reaction to the resurrection of Jesus, is cautious and sceptical when it perhaps shouldn't have been. So we're starting with the details which surround the burial of Jesus. So this is at the end of chapter 23. And in going through the characters, the first we come to is Joseph. Joseph. Let's read about Joseph again, verses 50 to 53. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet laid. 
So he's Joseph, he's usually known by his hometown, Arimathea. Perhaps to distinguish him from other famous Josephs you may have heard of in the Bible. And his actions explain to us that Jesus was buried, that he was definitely dead. They explain why Jesus was in a tomb and not on a a communal dump or something like that, which would have happened to uh, executed criminals in those days. It was a tomb. It was a new one. It was available for Jesus. And Joseph comes to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. So it helps explain things through the burial, the fact that there is a tomb. But there's more to notice about this Joseph than just those facts. He was part of the the 70 strong leadership council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. But he'd taken a bold stand. Now, anyone in Putin's councils at the minute and his advisers uh, is unlikely to be seen disagreeing with President Putin. It would take a very bold person to stand against him in those situations. Probably want a death wish. Pressures are not exactly the same here, but there's that sort of pressure amongst the council members of the Sanhedrin as they so wanted Jesus to be sentenced to death and to be executed. But Joseph deliberately stands against that decision, votes against that decision, or deliberately absents himself when the decision is is made. He has been a secret disciple. We're told about that in the other Gospels. He's been a secret disciple, but now he goes very public in asking Pilate for for the body, in caring for Jesus in a dignified way after his death. He goes very public with identifying with Jesus. Perhaps you've been a secret disciple of Jesus for too long. And maybe in seeing the death of Jesus as we've looked at it in recent weeks, maybe like Joseph of Arimathea, it's time for you to go more public in your faith. People talk about nailing colours to the mast, showing where they belong, showing where their sympathies are. We've seen quite a lot of it in recent days, haven't we, with people publicly indicating their support for Ukraine. And so we see Ukrainian flags or football teams wearing Ukrainian colours. We even see the Queen being photographed with, with yellow and blue flowers in the background, which is seen as a subtle hint of her support. People identifying where their loyalties lie. Well, is it time for you to do that with Jesus? like Joseph of Arimathea, and make clear where your loyalties lie. Joseph's described here as a man who was good and righteous, uh, looking for the kingdom of God. He was a bit like, actually, Zacharias and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna, which we had at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, They're like bookends, really. There were many Jews who 
who didn't take to Jesus or believe in him, but we had righteous, good-hearted Jews at the beginning of the account, and here we have another one at the end with Joseph of Arimathea identifying himself as a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus is buried. Amazingly, he stooped to this low position in becoming a man. He did that for our sakes. And the women are on hand watching as the events unfold. And we're taken next in Luke's account too, these women. So we look at the women as we carry on. Now we've come across these before and they're very devoted, these women. They're northern women from Galilee and they're they're still following events in verse 55. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They were there at the crucifixion Verse 49, they're here at the burial, they will be at the resurrection scene. Especially important is this fact. They saw the tomb and where the body was laid, we're told in verse 55. A group of them, at least five of them we find out, were there and saw where the burial took place. That doesn't sit very well for any wrong tomb theory which might occur about the resurrection. Well, the burial seems to be um, quite a a rushed affair uh, because of the time scales and getting close to the Sabbath. The the body is not prepared with the dignity and devotion that the ladies would like. So they busy themselves with spices and preparations in order to do a proper job. They were very respectful of the commandments of God. Uh, There was, uh, in the commandments of God, a, a special day, one in seven, which should be a day of rest, and they see that through themselves. Verse 56, on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. It is an ongoing pattern uh, for Christians uh, to respect that the first day now, the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day is a special day given by God for rest and a breather from normal responsibilities. Well, on the following day, these brave women, they arrive at the tomb at the crack of dawn. On their way, Mark has told us they were discussing, well, how are we going to move this stone? It's going to be so big. But when they arrive, they they needn't have worried. The the stone is moved, verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And these women are taken by surprise at that fact. Perhaps they shouldn't have been, but they're taken by surprise. And it says in verse 4 that they're perplexed. That is, they're 
confused, they're unsettled, they don't know what's happening, they're uncertain. But we were going to to the, the tomb and how can we do what we were going to do now and where has the body gone and they're all unsettled. Now there's much to admire about these women. They're devoted, there's a stickability to Jesus, they respect God's law, they're courageous, they're up early, uh, uh, we might ask, where are the men? Us chaps, often we're several paces behind the ladies in terms of our spiritual interest and spiritual devotion. There was a lot going for these ladies. But whilst there's so much to admire, there was also something that wasn't quite right. Something which is going to be picked up on. Well, These ladies, they seem perplexed by what isn't there, the body, but then they become frightened by what is there. And we move on, thirdly, as we go through our passage, to the angels. The angels, they're not described by that word, it doesn't say there were angels here in the account in Luke, but uh, when it talks about men in dazzling apparel, you know from elsewhere in the Bible, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about angels being present. Now you don't get angels all over the place in the Bible. It is a rare thing for, for angels to make an appearance. You get it at very special times. You think of, of when you have it, Well, one of the times is at the birth of Jesus. Hence we sing, hark the herald, angels sing. Angels were there, sort of confirming, praising God for what was happening. And you also get it here at the resurrection account. And they give the headline news that we've been thinking of already. He is not here, but has risen. And this would be news that transforms the disciples. And this would be news that transforms the church. And this would be news that transforms the world. The early Christians loved it. In fact, they greeted each other with this, the Lord has risen, and the comeback would be, risen indeed, he is risen indeed. It proves that he is the Son of God. It shows us that he paid the price for sin, the good news that we heard about in the children's talk. It tells us that we can have everlasting life. It shows us we have a living saviour so we could sing our second song as we did, I know that my Redeemer lives. Matthew says it was accompanied with the words, do not be afraid. And the resurrection gives a well-grounded antidote for all sorts of fears that we might have. The resurrection is a source of tremendous joy and praise. And maybe you've felt that. You've, you've come now to, to these passages in Luke and you've, you, perhaps you've been filled with a sense of anticipation as you've come here and to coming weeks because we're going to be thinking about the resurrection. This is the headline news with massive implications. With tremendous reassurance. With a massive boost to hope, joy, peace and praise. 
but also in what the angels say to the women, there is a slight correction. There is a slight correction. Let's see again what they say in verses 5 and 6. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. They needed to remember what was expected. This is what Jesus says, tells the angels. Don't you recall? How's that going to affect the women? Well, our mind goes back to the women again. The women again as we go forward. And um, the penny seems to drop for these women. The large missing piece, if you like, of the puzzle is put into place by what the angels have said. Verse 8 is is very short, but it summarises their reaction. And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. The penny dropped. The big piece was put into place. Jesus had spelt out that he would die and that he would rise again. Take, for instance, chapter 9 in Luke, verse 22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Take, for instance, chapter 18 and verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. And recalling this made a big difference to the outlook of these women. You know, part of believing the, re- the resurrection is the facts themselves as they're presented, the historic accounts. And Luke is giving us plenty to think about on that front. The, the tomb was seen, at least five of them saw the tomb. Uh, he names the, the eyewitnesses, or, or some of them, he names them in, in verse 10. So, uh, well, as Luke wrote this, I guess he could say, well, you can come and speak to them. They're still alive. They would have been alive probably when Luke wrote this account. These were eyewitnesses. You can come and speak to them. You can check this out for yourselves. Uh, Joanna, did you see Jesus die? Well, well yes. Uh, Mary, did you see where the body was laid? Well, well yes, I, I did. Uh, the other Mary... Was the tomb empty when you arrived? Well, yes, it was. Uh, Were there angels there? Yes, there were. What did the angels say? Well, the angels said, he is not here but has risen. There are historical facts mounting up. And these will be mounting up even more as we go through the rest of the accounting coming weeks. 
In fact, um, the women themselves add to the evidence in the fact that they are women seeing uh, the empty tomb. Because in that culture, people were rather dismissive of women's witness and testimony. They shouldn't have been, but they were. That's the way it was in those days. It didn't count the same as the testimony of a man. So if you were fabricating an account like this, you wouldn't pick a group of women as your main first-hand witnesses, would you? So there is much overwhelming, I'd say, in the way of historical evidence for the resurrection. I remember coming across this quote, I found it quite helpful, it's one amongst uh, many in this book I've got. It's a quote by uh, Sir Lionel Luku, who was the world's most successful lawyer. I checked it out a few years ago in the Guinness Book of Records, and he still was then. I haven't checked it in recent years. And he writes, as somebody who knows a lot about law and cases, he writes about the resurrection of Jesus, and this is what he writes. I have spent more than 42 years as a a defence trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world, and am still active in practice. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and this is a bit, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. So, there is historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and that is a big, important part of what we should consider. But it does need to be connected with what Jesus himself said. It needs to be connected with what Jesus himself said. Connected with the fact that he said he was going to rise again. Connected to the fact that it was expected. Connected with what Jesus said would happen about him and his death and his purpose and why he came. Needs to be connected with the whole of the biblical account as Jesus connects it in his life. So we we have the evidence of history, but we also connect it with God's revelation as he brings it. As the, the ladies start to put these two things together, what they're seeing and the teaching of the Bible, then things happen. You need both parts and a third part we'll come on to next time. You've got something really solid when you've got the evidence and you've got the perspective of the biblical teaching through the centuries making sense of it. Have you think about both those things? Have you ever thought about either before? The eyewitness accounts, the evidence of the resurrection. The way it fits in with what the Bible expects, with what Jesus himself said would happen. If you haven't, both were thinking through in more detail. Such a solid basis. And it made a difference to the women because we now see that they're energised. 
They, they still actually haven't seen Jesus yet. They still haven't seen Jesus. But off they go. And where are they heading? Well, they're heading to our last part, which is the disciples. They're heading to the disciples, to the apostles. They went back to the eleven. Of course, Judas is no longer part of the group, so it's now eleven. And they, they tell their account to these uh, disciples. And what's the reaction of the apostles to this early news? Well, it's just what we were expecting. We were wanting for that. Um, you don't need to say, ladies, we know what you're going to say because it fits in with all happened before. This is what you're going to say. Was that how it is? Look at verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. Hogwash, tripe, bunkum, nonsense, fairy tales. The disciples did not believe the initial accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. It's spelt out for us. They did not believe. That's what it says. They did not believe. The great promoters of Christianity didn't initially believe the resurrection. I was saying to somebody yesterday about this morning's service, I said, if you come to the service this morning, it's going to be about a bunch of sceptics. Well, it is at the end here, isn't it? It's about a bunch of sceptics. Who are they? They're the apostles, they're the disciples, in their initial reaction. They hadn't taken in what Jesus had said. And the apparent impossibility of the resurrection was just stopping them from accepting what these women were telling them. So it's ironic, isn't it, that Jesus had risen, that the angels had declared it, that Jesus had predicted it, that others had believed it, and still they were sceptical. And maybe that's the same for some here. And you have some company. James and John and Peter and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and the others, I won't go through the rest. That was their initial reaction. Scepticism about the resurrection. Peter maybe was slightly different. A bit more curious, a bit more wondering... See, in our last verse, verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. He checked out the details. It was empty. And he went back to his house uh, marvelling, confused, uh, wondering, mulling, thinking, puzzled. Maybe you're at the stage of most of those disciples in their initial reaction. Maybe you've got a little bit further and you're a little bit more like a Peter stage. You're actually starting to look in and think and there's still puzzlement but there's pursuit of the facts. Your previous rejection as a given away at least to to confusion and maybe to curiosity. And so this is the disciples in their initial reaction 
to the resurrection. The, the disciples are not hearing the angel's declaration. He is not here, but has risen. But this was to change in the minds of the disciples. And we shall see that as we continue through the accounts in coming weeks. And maybe it will change in your mind as well as we carry on into Luke chapter 24. Well, shall we sing our our last song which reflects on the wonderful events of the morning we've been looking at. See what a morning, gloriously bright, with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. Thank you for the wonderful news of the account this morning, the things that will follow as we study them through the Gospel of Luke. And we do pray that it will stir in us that certainty, that faith, that hope, that confidence, that uh, assurance, that praise, that energy. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand these events in the light of the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of your word. 
Then bless us with the things that we have heard this morning. Help us to think them through. Lead us onwards to different stages of faith if we are like the initial disciples in our reaction. And we pray all this for the glory of your name. Amen.